Welcome to the Digital Workplace Podcast. These are conversations with CEOs of digital companies, thought leaders, and solution providers about how you can become a level five digital workplace. For the show notes and transcript of this episode, go to thedigitalworkplace.com. Welcome back to the Digital Workplace Podcast. Today, our guest is Jason Averbook. He is the CEO and co-founder at LeapGen. Hey, Jason, what's going on today? Neil, how are you? Thanks so much for having me. I can't wait for this. I'm also excited. You have this aura about you of thinking about the future, thinking about things that are coming up soon, which is really cool. But I'm going to surprise you a little bit here. We're going to give you a capture question to prove that you are a real human, okay? I love the capture question. All right, so here's yours. What was your favorite meal as a child growing up? Wow. Do you really want to know? I want to know. This is important. Taco Bell. Taco Bell. Taco Bell. <laughs> Don't tell my mom. I hope my mom never watches this. But uh, because I was, so, my parents both worked and because yep. I was so busy after school, it seemed like that was our go-to meal. Yeah. I didn't say that. That's not, that wasn't my favorite meal. That was our go-to meal. Probably yeah, my okay. favorite meal was when my dad would grill burgers yeah. um, in the summers uh, in Minnesota here. So that's probably my favorite meal. My go-to meal, unfortunately, or fortunately, however you look at <laughs> Taco Bell. Which now I don't eat it anymore. So yeah. Uh, yeah, here we are. I remember that, man. I had working parents too. And there were times when I saw my mom walking in, she'd either have like the bucket of chicken or she'd have the Taco Bell bag. And I was like, oh, right, it's cool. Like, <laughs> Yeah, but isn't it funny that what you relate to versus your favorite meal versus yeah. like, yeah, interesting question. I, I hope I passed the capture so we can move on. I think that works. That works for me. You seem to be a legitimate human for having, <laughs> going to Taco Bell. Yeah, right. Very cool. Well, well t- tell us a little bit about LeapGen. Give us a, a quick introduction about who you are. Yeah. So um, good or bad, I was never really born and raised to be in the HR space. Um, my dad was a businessman. My mom was an educator. And uh, at age 14, 15, 16, 17, I kind of loved technology, um, even though I can't even really call it technology back in that day. Um you know, it was enough technology with floppy disks and things like that. Yeah. I, was like, huh, I wonder what I could eventually do in my life to combine business, education, and technology together. Um, and, uh, you know, here I am and ended up in the HR technology, workforce technology, people technology space. Um, started my career at Ceridian Corporation, uh, built one of our f- the first Windows applications ever in the HR uh, technology space. Um, then went on after eight years there to PeopleSoft, where I did everything from open offices to implement PeopleSoft to lead our product strategy and marketing function for the organization. Uh, in 2004, left there to start a company called Knowledge Infusion, which was to help organizations realize that technology isn't the silver bullet. Mm-hmm. Actually, it takes work with inside your organization to make sure the technology works. Yeah. Um, had that company for about eight years, sold it to Sequoia Capital, went on to be the CEO of a company called the Marcus Buckingham Company, where we focused on strengths, new ways of engagement, sold that company to ADP in 2016, uh, took or was supposed to take six months off uh, <laughs> and uh, got a couple calls from CHRO saying, we really need some help with some digital transformation and uh, spent my summer helping those two CHROs and then said, wow, I love this, and started LeapGen in 2017, focused on digital transformation and really thinking about 
how do we prepare for workforce 2020 which i know this is where this is, where our conversation will go so i'll just pause right there so it seems like your career trajectory has you retiring in about 200 years or 250 years <laughs> yeah for sure i'm retiring is not in the uh retiring is not in the cards anytime soon yeah. No, it's fantastic. And it's great to hear kind of the peaks you've been out. Because I mean, a lot of these companies, I mean, PeopleSoft back in the early 2000s, I mean, that was a little bit on a revolutionary side of, of trying to bring technology into the HR space, but maybe not fully implementing that and, and seeing things. And Marcus Buckingham is obviously like a big leader in the way we think about work and strengths and how people go through things. So, you I mean, you, you are at a front row seat to a lot of great things. You know, Neil, I think I've been blessed to have learned from amazing leaders. And I'll just as a Pro tip, quote unquote, for those listeners, make sure you're always learning and yeah. watching. Um, never pretend you're the smartest person in the room. Um, you know, always be open to learning and listening. And I've just been blessed to be able to learn and listen from lots of great people. Yeah, well, it's great. We want you to share with us all the things you've learned. So start off with, you guys have this term called the now of work. So unpack that for us a little bit. What do you mean by that? So, I mean, Neil, basically what happened is, I mean, I always say, I mean, and once again, I'm old enough, so I know this, you know, we went from Y2K, which was an era that, you know, I was right in the middle of, mm -hmm. to, you know, right after Y2K and right after people survived, we started talking about this thing called Workforce 2020. And during that time, between 2000 and 2020, we talked about future of work. We talked about future of work. We talked about it being teams-based, being hybrid, you know, people looking at each other on video screens, people carrying around mobile devices. We talked about all that stuff. And we said, you know, that's going to be Workforce 2020. You know, and interestingly, between 2000 and 2020, we didn't do that much to really prepare <laughs> for it. Yeah. Uh, so 2020 hit, uh, and it hit hard. I mean, it didn't just hit because the year turned to 2020. It hit because we ended up dealing with uh, multiple pandemics around social justice, diversity and inclusion, and public health. And all of a sudden, what we used to call the future of work was all of a sudden staring at us right in the face. It was the now. So, dude, for me, you know, we kind of said, you know, the future, we shouldn't be talking about the future. We need to be talking about the now. And that's really where it came up with that term for the now of work. Like, guys, it's we don't have five years. Hmm. We don't have three years. Like we're, we are all actors in a movie right now in 2020 and 2021. And people are looking at us saying, I mean, well, they're going to watch the movie five years from now and say, what did these people do? Yeah. And did they recoil back to where they were? Did they actually take 10 steps forward to really prepare for what is life going forward? That's the moment that we're in. And that's why for me, the now of work is such an important term instead of something like, oh, you know, that's the future. Let's just deal with it later. I love that because like you said, everything we can imagine or we could have imagined 10 years ago is possible now. The scope of what our imagination was 10, 20 years ago is totally implementable. And now we're at a phase where we've kind of lost that ability to imagine because we haven't updated our work enough to embrace the tools we have now. Like you said, the future of work, anything anybody's talking about is, is mostly stuff that you can have anytime you want. Yeah, you know, and, and Neil, I'll just add one thing. It's yeah. not, only, not only is it possible, it's expected. Yeah. So, you know, I always use this example. It's 2021 outside of work. What year does it feel like inside work? Mm. 1992, I would say. Yeah, it doesn't feel like something within a decade. Like, we're way off. 
you know, because it's the same people. It's yeah. the same people that work outside or that live outside of work that show up at work. So you're coming at this from an HR world. So that, that's a world you've been in. You've seen the technology and different things. Where do you see that? Like, does HR kind of fall away in the now of work and become lean back on some of these technologies just for processing and for automation type things? And we've talked about like pushing that out to the, the responsibilities that HR used to have, push those out to managers. Like, where do you see HR falling in this? I love the way you said it. And it made me totally think, once again, learning. I'm coming this for, for coming at this from an we're coming at this from an HR perspective because I believe I believe out of any function within the organization HR is in a position to influence it most. Okay, if HR's job and its stated job is to make sure that talent can do its best work, that people can do their best work that I focus on how do I enable people versus monitor people? How do I check in on people versus checking up on people? Those types of things, if that is truly HR's job and that's our mission, which we've been saying for 20 years, people are our most important asset, but we haven't treated them like that. We've been counting heads instead of making heads count. If I truly say that that's HR's job, then I'm approaching it the right angle. Uh, if we say that's IT's job, or if we say that's finance's job, then I'm not coming at it from the right angle. So I love the way you framed that up, and it actually made me think for a second, because I'm coming at this from the function that I believe has the biggest opportunity to impact the way people work, their happiness, their satisfaction, and overall, the ability to drive business outcomes. All right, let's talk about this a little bit deeper. Unpack, unpack, unpack. Yeah, I'm going to just push back a little bit. I feel like in some outlier cases, HR has the credibility to do that and to step in these conversations. But I also feel like because of the last few decades of HR being more focused on monitoring, being more focused on just counting things and really HR technology being existing to help HR out and not necessarily to help the organization out that they've almost like, feels like lost some credibility. And so when they come in and say, Hey, we're going to bring in, we're going to usher in this now of work. The future of work is here. I can imagine some people kind of rolling their eyes a little bit and saying like, Oh, you guys are the ones that are coming into this. So sell it on to me a little bit more. Why should we trust HR to be the ones that lead us into this? So, I mean, what we need to do is we need to, um, what's the best way I say this? We need to trust that HR is thinking differently. Mm-hmm. So if HR is the same HR, Neil, or everyone's afraid to talk to them, or the phone rings and it's HR, or you get an email from HR, and you're like, mm-hmm. oh, man, now what did I do? Mm-hmm. That's not the HR I'm talking about. Yeah. I'm talking about an HR organization that has a mission and vision that is proactive that's focused on the things I said, that's that's human-based, not transaction-based, mm-hmm. that's focused on truly thinking about the people in the organization, not making them do things inhumane, like once-a-year performance reviews or once-a-year engagement surveys, yeah. but making sure that they can show up with what they're innately bringing to the workforce that's the HR organization I'm talking about. So it's I, I, it's a great 
point that you made. And it's mm-hmm. important to segment the two. Because if you're a transactional HR organization that doesn't believe in what I just said, you're not the ones. You're yep. not the ones to carry that forward. And, and you have to look at what's the mandate that's been given to HR. It's very rare that somebody turns to their CHRO and say, hey, you need to lead us into the future. It's mostly the sense of, hey, you need to make sure people are working and make sure that they're not complaining about things. Like that's, yep. that's why we go to them. And if that's the mandate, then they, they are going to be more transactional. Yep, completely agree. Yeah. So like you said, even you talked about enabling versus monitoring. That's a big topic we talk about a lot. Like how do you judge if somebody's doing a good job? For the most part, especially in our office mentality, it's like, did somebody show up? Are they there sitting in their desk or are they generating a lot of activity that's there as opposed to looking at outcome-based approaches or trying to figure out did somebody actually reach an objective and stripping away a lot of those other metrics that we use. And I think HR has so many of those metrics that they can rethink, but there's so many of those like layers of the onion that they have to peel back to really find, okay, what's the true function that, that we are, we're bringing to this? We have to reimagine, you know, we have to reimagine what our role is as a function. Yeah. A, and then B, we have to realize that people don't work for HR. Yep. People work for a company and people work for leaders. Okay. What HR can do is HR can help those leaders be successful with their people. Mm-hmm. They can help the organization be successful with their people. But HR can't force people to do things. Yeah. And that's a really important mindset. And then back to mindset. Neil, one of the things we talk about when we talk about digitization so much is that mindset is key. The Mm. concept of being able to adapt or unlearn. HR is one of the oldest professions in the world. And the ability to unlearn and relearn based on the now of work will clearly differentiate. So let's talk to someone who is, they're leading a company. A lot of our listeners are are leaders, CEOs of companies from 25 to 200 employees, okay? So put them in a situation where they're just introducing HR as a true discipline within the company. If you could step into that situation and advise somebody there how to, to not set up structurally a system that's going to work against the now and the future of work, what would you have them do? Like, what does that HR function do? Do you need one dedicated person to do that as they build their own team? Like, what are the things that you would want to reimagine for an HR team? So the first thing is, is to make sure that there's alignment and coordination on the mindset and make sure that coordination and alignment on the mindset gets out to the business. It's not coordination alignment for me and HR only. Mm -hmm. It has to be in alignment with the business. Because if the business still sees HR as one thing and you're over here doing something else, it's not going to work. Mm-hmm. Well, that's number one. The second thing is, is creating clear, Neil. And, I, and I, if I could scream clear, I would. Do it. It's okay. It's okay. Clear <laughs> measures of success. Okay. Our job is not just to keep the thing going. Like we're just don't just show up. We're nine to five. Yeah. Our job is to say, what are we trying to do? You know, what is our goal as a function? What are our measures of success? And, Neil, we even see this when people try to implement technology. Their measure of success is go live. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, once you're live, that's when you actually begin. We say you should never have a go live party. You should have a go begin party. Because once you actually get live with the technology, that's when you actually start to make an impact. Yeah. So it's really, 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 really important that we set these clear 
measures of success. And then the third thing is to make sure that I organize HR, organize HR in a way that's most efficient and effective to meet those goals and measures of success. So Neil, I talk a lot about this concept of hands, heads, and hearts. Machines are good at hands work. Mm. People are good at hearts work. Where machines and people meet is what the heads work. Okay. And that is like, it's so important right now. Because people always say, when are machines going to replace people? When are machines going to replace people? Machines aren't replacing people. Machines are moving people up the value chain to be able to be closer at what humans are great at versus what machines are great at. And mm-hmm. you know, you could find just the last thing I'll shut up. You could find some pundits all day long who would tell me that machines are replacing people. Cool. Like, I'll take you on any day, buddy. But that's 10 years, that's 15 years, that's 20 years down the road, maybe. We're talking about the now of work, and I need to think about how do I get my hearts, my people, closer to the people that need them and out of doing that transactional stuff. Yeah, 100%. And I would say that we are not prepared as humans. Like We've not been doing a lot of hard work over the last 50 years, and we are woefully unprepared. If machines do come in, And they will, they take tasks away from humans, that's for sure. Like there are certain things that humans just aren't good at, or machines are just much better at, certain aspects of work that they should be doing because they're they're so much better than us. But when that happens, and then the machines turn to us and say, okay, what do you do around here? Like, we got to have a good answer for that. And there are are great answers at that. But if I say, hey, I'm here because I can motivate people. I understand how they work. I know how to optimize their workplace so that they're getting the best out of it and they can engage really well. That's super great. But you suck at that right now, and you, you need to get better at that. And as people in the workplace, we need to focus on those skills and focus on how we can get better at human work. Yeah. Oh, all right. This is good. All right. Now we're getting into some deep conversations. I like talking about this idea of clear measures of success, too, because that's also something that just isn't often there. To see, like, I imagine, again, this growing company, when you finally decide to bring in like an HR leader, what is that person going to do as a manager? I think there was this sense we were talking with with the guest earlier that was saying like we started to outsource that emotional relationship with employees. If things started to get a little bit emotional, we're like, okay, go talk to HR about that because that's not my business. I'm here to get work done. Yep. But managers now, really getting work done is the responsibility of the person you hired, like the team member. That's their job. Your job as the leader is to engage in some of those team dynamics. How do people interact with each other? How are they doing as a person? And so a lot of that role is getting pushed back onto managers as it should be. And the HR person is almost there as that resource, that mentor, that coach that can come in and at least provide opportunities and say, okay, if you're struggling with this, let's help you out in this area. And less necessarily mandatory training, even though I think some training should be mandatory, but more like, hey, here's the resources. What are you struggling with? And we'll we'll set you up with how to fit that in. That's where I see a lot of that heart and head work moving towards and equipping us as leaders. And the rest of HR, some of the general paperwork and processing can be done by machines and can be given mostly to them. Yeah, you know, and Neil, and just one more thing around that is that one of the things that we've done in HR for a long time is we've we've kind of taken a one approach fits all model and it doesn't work. I mean, almost every organization, you know, I was on the phone with a major organization this morning that does concession stands at sporting events. They run the... um, Parks and Recs people, I mean, mm-hmm. uh, 
And for them to take a one-size-fits-all approach as to how do they serve the workforce, that <laughs> some of it's seasonal, some of it's year-round, it doesn't work. Yeah. So what you know, I'm looking at the the title of your show, Digital Workplace. You know, one of the keys of a digital workplace is the ability to personalize, yep. the ability to be able to understand the personas of that workplace that fit within that workplace and design for them. You know, you said one of the things you said earlier, which I think was really interesting, is you said we haven't we haven't done that. Like we haven't we haven't worked that way. One of the reasons we haven't worked that way is because we haven't actually designed for our people. We've designed Mm. for us. So when all of a sudden we turn the mirror into a window and we say, let's design for them, instead of looking in the mirror and designing for us, that is a huge shift. And it's, it's mega important. And it's possible now. Like, I think there was a time if you had 10,000 employees, that's at least the way everything was set up, like you almost had to have some kind of standardization. Like maybe you can have blue or red, like you can have two options. But once you get beyond that, it gets more complex. But with all the digital technology we have today, it's like, there's nothing stopping you. You're like you, you can do all that. You can individualize things down to a certain level. It's just how willing are you to engage in that and to offer those options to people? Yeah, and once again, I'm just gonna say it one more time. You know, it's beyond possible. It's yeah. expected. It, it will make or break whether your organization is successful in the decade of 2020. Absolutely. Uh, Jason, let's close this out. We're done already? Close it out. Holy cow. I want to give you a chance to answer this last one because it's a little bit bigger. But like, I want you to take us, what's the discussion that we're not having that we should be having? What's the thing that in five years we are going to be unprepared for if we don't start planning for it right now? So... The biggest, in my personal opinion, and it's going to get a little bit techy, so I apologize. But Go for it. The, the role that artificial intelligence will play and machine learning will play in helping HR hmm. be able to focus more on the heart's work instead of the hand's work, it, it's not just another cloud thing. Yeah. It's real. And... In order for it to work, we have to have very, very strong foundations. Mm-hmm. We have to have great data foundations. We have to have great information about our people. And it has to be somewhat clean, meaning I can't, you know, on average, enterprises that have 2,500 employees and above use 47 systems. Wow. You know, and that's, you know, 47 systems you know, to have your employees go to 47 systems to get something done, it doesn't work. Right. So we've spent the last couple of years trying to build these experience layers on top of the 47 to make sure that employees don't have to do that. But underneath, we've still got a mess. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, for artificial intelligence to truly work, I have to be able to think about my data and say, my data is correct. And it's not just data knowing my name's Neil Miller. But it's data that says when Neil Miller has a question about X, here's the answer. And it can't be tribal knowledge. Mm. You know what I mean? Because if it's tribal knowledge, I'm always going to be stuck answering transactional questions instead of being able to do the things I'm talking about with that heart's work. Mm-hmm. The more I can get my policies, my procedures, my standard operating, my FAQs, that stuff documented. 
and have a great knowledge manager or management function within HR, then artificial intelligence can answer those questions for me. Mm -hmm. And guess what I'll be able to do? The strategic parts work, strategic heads work. But I'm telling you, if we don't do that now, if we don't, it's not, because it's not something you just go out and say, oh, we need a contract. You know, this is foundational work. This is like, I've been ignoring my health for the last 20 years. And now I need to deal with it because I just got back from the doctor and I've got high cholesterol and, you know, I've got some blockages. So this is work I have to start now. If you don't start this work now, when AI becomes mainstream, not fake AI like today, but mm-hmm. as it becomes mainstream, your organization's going to be woefully behind. Yes, 100%. I think if you just look out there, I think there's a lot of people look at technology and say, oh, I've seen AI, what it can do right now. It's like little tricks here and there, but it's not like transformational at this point. And if you just say, oh, I'll just wait till it gets better and wait till I can use it later, like you're too late. Like you have to adopt this AI mindset, kind of like what you were saying before, that you have to understand how AI works. It needs all the data. It needs to understand, you need to know what it's going to be good at, what it's not going to be good at, where are the good use cases for it and be ready for it and be ready to experiment with it now so that when it is mainstream, you've already adapted, like you're already ready for it and you know how to use it. Yeah, completely agree. Excellent. Jason, we could go on forever, but I knew you're going to give a great answer to that question. So that's why I wanted to close it there. Tell people where they should go to learn more about you, what you're doing, everything. You got a lot of things going on. So tell us about it. Yeah. I mean, the best way is just to follow me on LinkedIn. Mm. You know, I mean, on LinkedIn, it's where we try to keep everything related to LeapGen. I mean, really quickly, you you know, LeapGen stands for something that I think is really, really important. And I'll just end with this. It stands for love, energy, audacity, and proof. Nice. That's what the leap stands for. And people are always like, why leap? Why leap? Why leap? It's not leap to the future, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, we can do that. But one of the things I think that's so important for or for people to realize related to the now of work is that you have to love what you do. So why do I keep doing this? Why am I not retired? Why am I not going to retire? Because I love this stuff. You know, if you love it, it gives you energy. Mm. If you have energy, you can do the audacious. And if you do the audacious, your goal is to then to prove that and keep doing it in a circular or continuous basis. And I truly think that anyone that's going to take this on right now, this task of shifting work from past to now, really needs to focus on that leap, that loving what you do and having that energy. If not, like, don't bother. Sorry. Because it's, it, it's, it's not for the faint of heart. I mean, you're yeah. changing culture. You're changing an organization. It's easier to change technology all day long yeah. than it is to change an organization. And that's what we're doing. Totally. And it's tiring. And when you get to the place where people, you're just having trouble getting people to think in these new terms and getting to transform minds, like you'll reach a point where you just be like, fine, this is go back to the way it was. Status quo is so much easier, as yeah. you know. Yeah. Status quo is so much easier. So, but it won't work for long term. Absolutely. Jason, thanks for being on the show, man. We we appreciate you coming on. We appreciate you sharing your ideas with us. And we look forward to having you back again sometime and and re-engaging. I would love to. Any, 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 any time. This was a true joy. This has been the Digital Workplace Podcast. If you liked it, please take a minute to leave a review wherever you are. Go to thedigitalworkplace.com and sign up for our twice a month newsletter. 
that keeps you up to date on the best ways to build a level five digital workplace. Music for the show is provided by City of Sound. I'm your host, Neil Miller. Keep moving forward.